Well, good morning, everyone. Yes, I like it. Woo, I like it. Again, hello to all of you joining us online as well from wherever you are at in the world. Today's a good day. Today's the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, all right? Hey, it's Palm Sunday. We know you had many options of what you could have done today and uh, be somewhere else, but you chose to be here, so thank you. We are glad that you decided to be here. Uh, Today we are going to wrap up this sermon series called, What Are You Thinking? And I just want you to know, congregation, I have been absolutely humbled by the very kind words that many of you have told me about this sermon series. I just want to say thank you for that. Appreciate that. And the idea behind this sermon series has been this, that our, our goal is to try and get us to be proactive in our thoughts Uh, Too often we're passive in our thoughts and we're not thinking about what we need to be thinking about. Our thoughts come into our life and ultimately they come out in our actions. And the reality is this, none of us have actions without thoughts. Because remember the Bible teaches in Proverbs 23, 7 that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So here's what we've been saying. We've been saying that the more you think a certain thought, the easier it is to think that same thought over and over and over. And then we get into this pattern, and if our thoughts are good, then the pattern's a good thing. But if our thoughts are negative and they're sinful, yeah, then it's not such a good thing, and we end up in the ditch. And so God is calling his followers to be proactive in their thinking and to be aware of what the enemy's up to and his plan to attack us through our mind. And so we talked about all this over the last four weeks. You can catch up on all this sermon series from our YouTube page, FBCFO, or you can listen to the sermons from our church website, fbcfo.com. And here is why it's been important to me that we do this series. As I've been saying to you guys since January 1, that this year, 2023, is the year of strengthening for us here at FBCFO, right? God wants us to get stronger in our ministries. He wants us to get stronger in our, in, our, in our lives as individual members of his family. And as a congregation, God wants to do something really big here at First Baptist. And he wants to do it, but in order for us to get there, we got to do our part we got to prepare to receive those blessings that God wants to give us. And if we want to have the impactful ministry that many of us desire here in this town of Fair Oaks and in the greater Sacramento area, we have got to get stronger in our personal relationship with God. And we have to understand how our thoughts play a part in our spiritual development. So, What we conclude with this sermon series, and hopefully if you've been here, you know that what I'm saying is it is 100% essential for that. As you can see by the title slide behind me, our life is shaped by our thoughts. That's pretty impactful. So hopefully you grabbed an outline on your way in today, and if you're ready to go, let's do it. Let's see if, uh, if you guys are ready. So let me see if this fits you or maybe somebody you know, all right? Many times when it comes to making choices in life, many of us want to make better choices now than maybe in our past because we recognize what we did in the past. It didn't work so well, did it? 
So now we've, we've got some good intentions, kind of like having a New Year's resolution, right? It's a new day. I want to I do something better. I want to start all over. And so our desire with good intentions is there. And then after a little bit, we see that it's not working like we want it to or we think it should. And so then we experience failure. And then after some time, we feel stuck and we, we, maybe we feel like we're kind of stuck in a rut. And then as a result, we feel some guilt. And then often this cycle is created and it just kind of happens over and over again. It's the cycle of good intentions, failure, guilt. Good intentions, failure, guilt. And what happens is at some point we just stop trying. And then the decisions that we make end up being a total train wreck. And it's usually at that point when folks reach out for help from people like me or a professional counselor because they've hit rock bottom. And so what what we want to do today is we want to learn God's pathway to freedom. So in your outline, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 7 is where I'm going to read a verse out of. But if you know this chapter, the whole chapter is devoted by the Apostle Paul to talk about the relationship between our spiritual lives in God and how we struggle with sin and where the law comes into play with all that, all right? So I'm going to hone in on verse 15 of Romans chapter 7. Here's what this verse says. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. Anybody? Can you identify with Paul here? I know I can. I do not understand what I do. And then he goes on to say, for what I want to do, I don't do it. But what I hate, he says what? I do. I I know none of us can identify with the Apostle Paul here. You see, this whole chapter of Romans chapter 7 describes this tension that we all feel. The war between the fallen nature and the saved spirit in Christ. In verse 15, it also hits on that cycle I was just talking about. Good intentions, failure, guilt. Good intentions, failure, guilt. And then it's quit time, and we crash and burn, and we reach out for help. So let's look today at God's pathway to freedom, because God does not want us just to replay the cycle over and over again. He wants us to have some victory. So number one in your outline, God wants us to understand that we all have a pattern of temptation. So that's my advice to you. You all have to understand your pattern of temptation. Now, most people, they don't even realize that they have a pattern of temptation. But the truth is, congregation, all of us do. Just like we all have a unique thumbprint, you have a unique pattern of temptation. And there are temptations that I have in my life that you may not struggle with. There are temptations that you have in your life that I may not struggle with. And then there may be some times when we have, you know, we both share the same thing. We'll find that out in just a few minutes, okay? Now, if you don't know what your pattern of temptation is, I just want you to know this. Satan does. He knows exactly how to jack with you. And it's my belief that he does it with you regularly. Because I know that's what happens to me. And so the reason why it's important for all of us to know what our personal 
pattern of temptation is, is because this is, congregation, your only defense to Satan's attack and his plan on you. And we talked about how he attacks us last week. And so I know that you know that you don't want to know and that I know that you don't know how that works, but I know that you don't want to be defenseless against the enemy. It's not a place you want to be. So let's look together at Proverbs chapter 4 in your outline. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. Read it with me here. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Now let me stop right there. Fix your eyes directly before you. What a really great thing to do. Verse 26, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. He says, keep your foot from evil. We have to give careful attention to our thoughts in our daily living. And so to help you understand your personal pattern of temptation, there are five questions that you need to ask. I'm going to invite you to write these down on your note page somewhere on the side. But it's the who, what, when, where, and how of temptation. And the first one is this. Who is with me when I'm most tempted? Is it my friend from work? Is it my neighbor? My colleague? Uh, Is it my college buddies? Who is with you? Is it no one? Are you most tempted while you're alone? Because that's actually a very common and it is a totally legit concern. And might I add this, anytime you're looking over your shoulder to see if anyone is watching you, that's a really great warning sign. It's an indicator light on your dashboard of life that you probably shouldn't be doing what you're fixing to do. That's free of charge, by the way. The next one is what temporary benefit do I get if I give in to this temptation? Because let's be honest, congregation, anytime you give in to temptation, there is a temporary payoff. If sin wasn't fun, none of us would do it. And I've said this before to you, sin is a kick, but eventually it kicks back. That's how it goes, right? If sin was a poke in the eye, or a stubbed toe, none of us would struggle with it, right? Isn't that how it goes? And so the lie that we believe from the enemy, we believe this lie to be true, and it goes something like this. If I just do this, my life is just going to be so much greater in just a few minutes. And afterwards, the kick comes back on us, and it's not greater And oftentimes, we feel like life is just one giant train wreck. And why is that? Because the enemy never gives us the full story on the front end of temptation. He never gives it to us before we sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says this. There is pleasure in sin for a short time. Sin is a kick. And then it kicks back. Third one is this. When am I most tempted? Now, there's two things you need to know about Pastor Wayne. Two things. Number one, I'm great at dieting until my stomach rumbles. Okay? I'm, I'm awesome at it. 
The second thing is that you need to know is I have a very complicated relationship with ice cream. Okay? I know some of you do too. I know. Now, don't pretend I'm the only one in this room that is struggling with ice cream. Okay? I mean, if only God had made peanut butter cup its own food group. Right? Is there a witness out here for that? All right. All right. Good. But hey, listen, all right. I'm not tempted with ice cream at 10 a.m. Ever. You want to know when I'm tempted with ice cream? 7.30 p.m. After dinner's over, right? Isn't that how it goes? And so we have to figure out when are we tempted. Is it morning? Is it afternoon? Is it nighttime? Is it late at night? When is it? Is it a specific day of the week? You just have to get honest about that with your life. The fourth one is where am I most tempted? Is it in the kitchen? Is it at work? The sports bar? In front of the computer? In front of your cell phone? Where is that place of temptation that you are struggling with? Now remember, if you don't know where it is, I promise you Satan knows exactly where it is. And he's going to use it against you every single time. So I'm going to encourage you. Be honest with yourself. Identify that place. The last one is this. How do I feel right before I'm tempted? Am I frustrated? Am I lonely? Am I feeling unloved? Am I depressed? Am I worn out? Am I angry? Am I bitter? Am I lustful? How do I feel right before I'm tempted? Congregation, ask those questions, and you will see that you have a unique pattern of temptation. Many people ask, what's the difference between temptation and sin? And the answer is this. Temptation is the first look. Sin, second look. Because remember, all temptation starts with that shiny apple. Remember Eve in the garden, the shiny apple? Look at this. Isn't this wonderful? Sin enters, it gives birth. And when you start thinking about how you're gonna pull it off and you devise a plan to eat that apple to do whatever it is you're wanting to do, yikes. So it's very important that you get honest with yourself, ask those five questions, identify how you are feeling before you're tempted. Now, I know it's gonna take some effort We all know that, but you know you. God knows you. Satan knows you. Encourage you. Be honest with yourself. The second thing in your outline, number two, is you got to guard your spirit. Now, this could also be said guard your mind or guard your heart because in Hebrew, it's the same word for spirit, heart, and mind. It's the total conscience of a person or a being, right? And Scripture tells us, to guard our spirit, to guard our heart. And so the writer of Proverbs, he gives us an interesting take here. It's the, all other things that I've told you about are good, but this thing is the one you can't forget. It's not as important as this right here, kind of like when your mom used to say to you, now honey, whatever you do, don't forget this. So in Proverbs, 
Here is this one right here, Proverbs 4, verse 23, reading from the Christian Standard Version. It says, guard your heart, where at church? Above all else. Come on, say that with me. Above all else. Now, let me stop right that. Guard your heart above most things. Some things, no, the scripture here says above all else. And he says why, right here. For it is the source of life. So in other words, your actions are only actions because you have thought those things first. The things you have done in your past didn't just happen. You thought them up. So if we don't guard our hearts, if we don't guard our minds, if we don't guard our spirits, then we're just allowing all kinds of junk into our life and eventually it's gonna overflow and it's gonna manifest into our behavior. Because remember, it's thinking, then it's feelings, then it's actions. We've talked about that. So we gotta guard our spirit from the enemy. Look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 27. Apostle Paul writing here to the church in Ephesus. He says, do not give the devil a foothold. The enemy wants to absolutely crush you. He's not your friend. And all he needs is a couple of footholds, and he's got you. Every October 31st, we, out here in our parking lot as a church, we have this block party, and one of the things that we enjoy having for our community event is the rock wall. Big 40-foot tower, and the kids go climbing up the rock wall. And if you've ever done this, let me just tell you, here's how this works. You put your hand on a rock, and then you put your other foot on the other side, on the other side, and you kind of pull and push at the same time. And then you go here and do it, and you, next thing you know, you're scaling up the wall just like Spider-Man would. Okay? Well, the enemy, that's what he wants. He wants just a little bit of a foothold, just enough to start scaling up the wall of your life. One rock at a time is all he's interested in. When he does, he's coming for you, baby. He's coming for you. He wants to destroy everything that you care about. Everything that's important to you. Your family, your finances, your job, your spiritual life. You name it, he's coming for it. And Paul says, don't give him the opportunity. Don't give him a foothold. And you might ask, well, how is Satan actually going to do this, Pastor Wayne? Congregation, he's primarily going to do this through negative emotions in your life. So when you feel anger, when you feel frustration, when you feel tired, when you feel bitterness, when you feel lonely, when you feel unloved, and there's many more, whenever you feel these negative emotions, that's when he seizes his opportunity. And when he seizes his opportunity, it's because you've given him a foothold. And see, then he starts to take advantage of the times when there's multiple, a combination of these items in your life. And the next thing you know, he's just scaling right up your wall real quick. And so the Bible says, Ephesians 4, don't give him a foothold. And sometimes when he dangles that apple in front of us, sometimes it's this. You know, you deserve this. Look how hard you've been working, taking care of somebody, whatever it is. 
You deserve this. And then he just comes along, dangles the bait out in front of us, and bam, nails us. And he is the master of the old bait and switch. He shows you that shiny part of the apple. He doesn't show you the corrupted internal core. He says, look at this. Isn't it awesome? And we buy what he's selling. Because we're like, yeah, yeah, I do deserve it. Yeah. In fact, if I take that, oh, my gosh, my life's going to be so much better. I'll feel comfort. I'll feel peace. I'll feel relaxation. And we think all that stuff. And then he just starts scaling up our wall to conquer our lives and to tear us down. And the next thing we know, we get to a point where we crash and where we, we burn out and we have disaster on our hands. So you have to understand your pattern of temptation and you have to guard your spirit. Number three, we've got to pray for God's help. Now, number three and number four are going to go together here, okay? And oftentimes people will say, Pastor... You need to know, I prayed 203 times for this issue, and it's not working. And I'll say, okay, well, tell me, how did you pray? And they say, Lord, I don't want to do whatever it is. Deliver me from that. Lord, I don't really want to do it. Lord, get it out of my mind. And hear me, congregation, if that's your story, You just have to understand that what persists, you cannot resist. Because if if you didn't really want to do something, it would be of no temptation to you. Now, I don't struggle with alcohol at all. Zero. Okay? I can walk right past the alcohol aisle in a grocery store and not even bat an eye at it. No interest to me whatsoever. But the frozen food aisle? You know what's on the frozen food aisle? Peanut butter cup ice cream. Totally different story for me. It's like I'm being sucked in by a tractor beam, right? And the more we say, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, what we're actually doing is pounding the nail into the very thing that we really want to do. So the principle here is this, whatever has your mind has you. Remember what Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so when it comes to prayer, it's all about the content of our prayer. We believe God can make impossible things become possible, right church? Amen. And so, like I said in the prayer series a couple months ago, that God can I can't. That's what prayer is. God can, I can't. That's why we pray to him. God can, I can't. Prayer is about taking the focus off of whatever my circumstances are and putting it onto God and his character. What do I mean by that? Our prayer should sound something like this. God, I believe that you can overcome the sin in my life. And I trust you, Lord. I believe in your faithfulness to deliver me. Lord, lead me to the heartbeat of your son. God, show me how to honor you in my life and in my choices. And so it's at this point when we're praying like that, 
that we're not thinking about the items that we're struggling with anymore. Reese's peanut butter cups, ice cream, chocolate, whatever it is for you. Instead, we're thinking about the character of God and who he is, what he's done for us. The pure, the noble, the praiseworthy items that Paul talks about. You see, the content of our prayer actually does matter. What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, the Lord said this, watch and pray, and here's why right here, so that you will not fall into temptation. And here's what we all know. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So there's a focus that you have, and it begins to change, which leads me to point number four here in your outline. We have to point your, your attention elsewhere. The power of suggestion is amazing, isn't it? Many of us have had times in our life where maybe our friend or our loved one suggested something like, you know, hey, let's go to this good restaurant over here after the ball game or church or whatever it is, right? And it's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, And so we all spontaneously at some point participated. That's the power of suggestion. Now get this. The power of suggestion doesn't necessarily have to come from an external influence. It can actually come from inside of our minds. It's crazy how powerful our minds are. And that is the part that we have to focus on. This is part of the reason why God wants us to proactively have self-control in our thoughts. This is why he wants us to think about what we're thinking about. And I've said this to you guys before. We can talk ourselves into doing just about anything we want to. We can create a real mess for our lives, real easily. That's why it's 100% essential to point our attention elsewhere, away from temptation and on to godly things. Look what James said, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? You see right here? Their own evil desire and enticed. Now let me stop right there. The temptations that we experience are from within us. And an example of the enticing is this. Like, you ever gone fishing? Right? You throw out your bait, and once the fish bites the hook, bam! Mm, I want to go fishing today now. Right? It's fish on. The same thing is true with us. Once we bite the bait of temptation, mm, Satan's got us. It's fish on for him. Verse 15. Then after desire has conceived. Wow. That right there. That's the rationalization and justification in our mind. The two twin killers that I call them. Because we can rationalize and justify just about anything we want to in our mind. It's crazy what we can do. Think about some of the dumbest things that you've ever done in your past. You were able to convince yourself and to justify that doing 
X was a wonderful idea. And then things went sideways. And then after that, you were still able to rationalize how that was still a good idea. When it comes to temptation, we have to start thinking about what we're thinking about. And when you start thinking about how you can pull off what you're about ready to do and how you can get away with it, oh, congregation, my friend, hear me. When you're at that point, look out. You have got to run, baby, run. Because you are on the verge of falling off the cliff. You are ready to take the bait that Satan's got. And right underneath that bait is a hook. And he is ready to set that hook and get you because, bam, it's going to be fish on. So in your outline, all temptation, it always follows a predictable process. Remember, it's not in our actions. It's in our mind. So let's look at this process. The first one is this in your outline. Attention. This is what you see through your eyes. You see it, and then your mind kicks in. You know that shiny apple? In my case, the the peanut butter cup ice cream when it's on sale. And then to make it worse, they put it on the end cap. You know what I'm talking about. You've been to Rayleigh's. You know what I'm talking about, right? That shiny apple grabs your attention. Man, isn't that wonderful? The next part is the incentive. And this is where all of a sudden you begin to think, hmm, if I do X then why is going to be the reward that I get? And I'm going to get to experience that, and it's going to be awesome. What is that? I'm going to feel comfort. I'm going to feel peace. I'm going to feel young again. I'm going to, I'm going to whatever it is. And then what follows is this. Yeah, I deserve it. Because things have been really stressful this year, right? It's been a long year. My, my needs aren't being met, whatever it is. Because we can rationalize and justify anything that we create in our minds. And congregation, remember this. Nobody got up this morning and said, I have a great idea today. Today, I'm going to throw away my marriage. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to absolutely have a total disaster of my life. It's going to be awesome. Let's go. Nobody did that this morning. But congregation, seriously, happens all the time. Why? Because in our minds, we can create, rationalize, and justify the incentive. And the last part of the predictable process is this. Action. We act upon whatever it is we're thinking about. Whatever has your mind, has you. We've all done this. We've experienced the, the crash and burn and the disaster of our, of our poor decisions. And we know that this isn't a place we want to be. And it's only by God's grace that all of us are still right here today. So to correct course, most of us, what we try to do is we try to go, we try to go right to the behavior and to the actions and to address the behavior. Because we can easily see it. It's identifiable. But the action is just the end result of what we thought about. So if we want to have 
A correction, of course, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning. We've got to think about what we've been thinking about. Change only happens when we address our thoughts first. Do you have that, congregation? God transforms us by the renewing of our mind, not by changing our behavior. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We've been looking at this verse this whole series. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up by, against the knowledge of God. And we do what? Say it with me. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is the pathway to victory, my friends, right here. The mindset change. We go from the fleshly way of thinking to the godly way of thinking. Back to the book of James, chapter 4. He says this in verse 7 and 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. Now let me stop real quick. Congregation, you cannot win a fight with the devil. Not going to happen. He's going to eat your lunch all day, every day. But you can resist the devil and the temptations that he puts in front of you. How? By changing what you think about Resisting the devil has everything to do with what you're looking at, what you're focusing on, and what you're thinking about right now. What has your attention? Back to my fishing example. If you've ever been fishing and you throw a bait out in the river or the stream and you see that trout right there and he's like not taking your bait. I've had that happen so many times and it's super frustrating. It's like, there's the big one. And he's not biting my bait. Ah! Right? He's resisting the bait. Why? Because he's thinking about something else. The same thing is true with us. Resist the devil. Think about other things. And the text goes on to say right here, it says he will flee from you. When you're not going to buy what he's selling, he's going to move on to somebody else who will. Verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And the next part of this verse has nothing to do with hygiene. It says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's all about protecting and guarding your heart and your spirit. And we talked about that earlier. So as we close this series out today, I want to give you two ways to get the victory over temptation in your life. Because remember, the war is in your mind. It's all about what you're thinking about. So here's the question to ask. How do I get the victory? How do I get the victory? So application stuff here. The first is this. You have to manage my mind. This has been the whole series. You have to manage what you're thinking about because if you get lazy in your thoughts, you will become easy prey for the enemy. Proverbs 4, 23 in the New Century Version says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. This is the nail we've been hammering on for five weeks now, right here. The tagline of the whole sermon series, life is shaped by our thoughts. Proverbs 23, 19, also in the New Century Version, says this, keep your mind on what is right 
Again, when someone has got themselves into the ditch, and maybe this has been your story, it wasn't your behavior that got you there. It was your thoughts. The mindset, and ultimately it played out in actions, and that's what gets people into the ditch. None of us are above this reality. And Proverbs says right here, we need to keep our minds on what is right. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, flee the evil desires of youth. It's a shift in the mindset, right? It says, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure, out of a pure heart. So this is what we've been saying today. The key to this whole thing is replacing and refocusing our thoughts, right? If you're going to overcome temptation in your life, if you're going to overcome temptation in your life, if you want to change your sinful habits, you have to replace your current thoughts with biblical thoughts, period. Refocus your attention elsewhere because if you don't, whatever it is that tempts you is going to win Every single time, just like it's been winning. So the final thing is this. We need to make a commitment to God's standard. And some people aren't going to like this, but here's the deal. We do not get to determine what is right and what is wrong. Only God gets to determine that. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible that I don't necessarily like. And I know that there's some that you probably don't like. But congregation, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. If God says that this is wrong, it's wrong. Regardless if I agree with it or not. If God says this is right, it is right. Regardless if I agree with it or not. This is an issue of who is Lord. Is it you? Or is it God? So don't hate me, I'm just the messenger. I don't make the rules. God does. All right. If you got an issue, take it up with him. All I try to do is read them and explain them to you as clearly as I can and live them out in my own life. So in our minds, when we don't like what God says, our sinful nature immediately wants to take over. And now we want to change the rules and we want the rules to fit our views. And we want to be the rule maker now because when we decide that we want to be the rule maker, then we can rationalize and we can justify any topic that we want and we can spin the scriptures a hundred different ways to make them say something that they don't actually say. Can't do that. We have to accept God's standards about the various subjects in life, including all the sins and all the temptations that we struggle with. God's word says what it says. That's it, folks, right there. I promise you, if you just start living with that view, you're going to have more peace. You're going to have more comfort. You're going to enjoy life a whole lot more, and you're going to not be in the ditch. Accept God's standards for what's right and what's wrong. Live in obedience to him. So if you don't want to make that commitment, I get it. That's your choice. But my friend, hear me on this. You will always, always, always struggle with sin and temptation. And you will never have the victory and the freedom that God desires for you. 
And that's also what I know that you seek. Now, why is that? Because your sinful nature will spin things your way. And then you can deconstruct and you can reconstruct sin into being not that big of a deal and all this sort of thing. And hear me when I say this, this happens all the time. So I just want to encourage you to conform your views to what the Bible says. Be transformed by God's way. Look at Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Scripture says, by living according to your word. It's just that simple. So in your outline, here's the question we all have to answer. Am I more committed to what I believe God says? What God says will meet my needs, or am I more committed to what I think will meet my own needs? You have to land that plane for yourself, but I encourage you. In the name of our Lord Jesus, I implore you to be more committed to what God says. Live by his standards. Trust his word. It has the power to demolish the strongholds in your life. It has the power to catapult you into a greater life of freedom and less struggling and entanglement with sin. Is that what you want? I know it is. And you can do this when you trust God's word and his spirit congregation. I'm going to ask you to go and stand and let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, thanking you for your grace and for your mercy, for your love. Thank you, Lord, that when we fall into temptation and when sin gets us, you, you still love us. You still have great concern for us. And so we thank you, Lord, for your love. God, we understand and we share in the struggle with the saints that have gone before us, the tension that we feel with the battle of our flesh, God, and in our spirit. We feel it each and every day. And Lord, we hate it when we keep sinning and we keep falling and stumbling. So God, we thank you that your word gives us the pathway of freedom pathway of correct thinking and placing our thoughts into the right direction so that we don't go off the cliff, God. And I pray right now for everybody in this room, God, that we will understand our pattern of temptation. And we will guard our hearts and we will guard our spirits, Lord. God, give us the clarity that we need to see the bait of the enemy in front of us. Help us to recognize it. Give us the wisdom and the strength to call it what it is. Temptation. God, we want to keep our minds on you. We want to trust you, God. We need your truth. Lord, help us to make the commitment to live by your standards, Lord. We want to please you. We want to honor you. Even when we don't like the way that your word tells us or the things that it says, but help us to accept it as the right thing, Lord, and help us to live by it. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for salvation, for what you've done. Dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the grave. What an amazing gift that is. So God, as we're here today, help us to focus on you and trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.